Morning, everyone. I'm Simon. Uh, I'm a member of the church here. It's great to be bringing you a, a talk uh, this morning. I love a good doctor, doctor joke. Do you? These are some of my favourites. You ready for these? Absolute corking. Doctor, doctor, I feel like a pair of curtains. You need to pull yourself together. Classic. Doctor, doctor, I've swallowed my pocket money. Take this and we'll see if there's any change in the morning. Nice, nice. Can't take any credit for these. This is my favourite all time. Doctor, doctor, I feel like a wigwam and a marquee. Your problem is you're too tense. You had to think about that one, didn't you? The reason why I brought you that last one is this morning we're thinking about being tent makers. Our passage today comes from Acts chapter 18, verse 1 to 4. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So we pick up the story from last week. Paul's now left Athens, and he's arrived in Corinth, where he meets Aquila and Priscilla, who he ends up living with and working with. Commentators believe that Aquila and Priscilla were already Christians, but they were exiled from Rome, and so they are now living in Corinth. We actually encounter Priscilla and Aquila again later on in Acts chapter 18, uh, verses 24 to 28, where they're used by God to give further instruction and guidance to a guy called Apollos. So Paul is in Corinth, and he spends his time on the Sabbath in the synagogue, debating and arguing with the Jews and the Greeks, trying to convince them that Jesus was truly the Messiah. However, it's not this that we're focusing on today. We're focusing on that little detail, the fact that Paul made tents. That's pretty cool, eh? Did you know that? We think of Paul, don't we, as possibly the greatest missionary or evangelist to have ever lived. We think of the calling that Jesus placed on his life, that he was the mouthpiece not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. We know of his Jewish upbringing, his amazing education, his incredible intellect and his career. You know what? He spent most of his time making tents. Let me give you some background to this. So Paul grew up in a place called Tarsus. That's in the southeast corner of modern Turkey. It was a city of culture, of politics, of philosophy, and it was on one of the major east-west trade routes of commerce and industry. And among one of these industries was textiles. And they used textile industry to make tents and shelters, normally out of goat's hair. And if you imagine, in those days, making tents was a really important trade. They were used all the time in people's daily work to give them shelter from the hot sun. And tents were taken around on the trade routes and where people went to work for their seasonal uh, work. And this was actually, tent making was the industry of Paul's family. He was apprenticed by his father in the trade of tent making. And what was really good about it, it was a portable skill that he could take with him 
wherever he went. So in this instance, he took it with him to Corinth. And so as he set off on his missional journeys, slightly later in his life, he took this skill with him. And we find him using it as he went to Corinth. But as he was making and selling these tents, he would have been in a really multi-ethnic, multicultural context. He would have been in his everyday work, mixing with people as they were coming to buy his tents and mixing with his colleagues, mixing with the people that he was working with and selling with. So not only was his incredible missionary, not only was he in the synagogue arguing with the, the Jews and the Greeks, he was living it out every day. He was just an everyday witness. He was a tent maker. In fact, Paul was a lot more like you and I than I think we actually think and we actually give him credit for. So we're going to ask the question today, what can we learn about Paul, not the missionary, but the tent maker? The Paul in the everyday, the guy who went to work in his daily life, relating to all sorts of people. And there's one particular aspect of Paul's character that I want to focus on today as a tent maker. This is what made him an amazing witness day to day as he went about his daily life. And that was that he was secure. He was secure. A guy once uh, wrote into a Christian forum and he wrote this. I want to be a bold witness for Christ before the men I work with who are all, num- on, who are all unbelievers. My heart is breaking for them. And I'm so frustrated at how hesitant I am. I don't speak when I should speak. My plans to make opportunities come to nothing. When I do speak, I look back dissatisfied and wonder if I said anything worth saying or hearing. I second guess myself. I hesitate myself out of opportunities. And I leave work most days feeling like a failure and doing nothing for the sake of winning souls. I feel like I don't love these men like I ought to love them. And I feel like I don't love God like I ought to love them. Does that resonate with you? certainly resonates with me. I feel like that quite a lot. What's the opposite of secure? It's feeling insecure, right? And I would argue and suggest today that insecurity is a huge problem. It's a huge problem for me. I'm a deeply insecure person. And you know what? Insecurity holds us back. It holds us back from being God's witnesses, you know? Because it leads us to feel paranoid. It gives us low self-esteem. It means that we pursue perfection, but we can never attain it. So we end up feeling low and guilty because we feel like we failed all the time. And I suggest to you today that as we're trying to be witnesses in our everyday lives, just like Paul, we've got to overcome our insecurity. John Stott wrote this in the book, The Contemporary Christian. The church, oh, that was weird. (coughs) The church, I'm so insecure about my voice. Man, just go, anyway. The church is insecure. It's uncertain of its identity, its mission, and its message. I think he's right. I'm insecure in all those three things. And maybe you might be too. I think that these things actually prevent me sometimes from growing in my relationship with God. Sometimes they prevent me from living out my faith as I want to, and they prevent me from telling other people about Jesus. So we're going to use this as the framework for our talk today. And I really hope and pray that the Holy Spirit deepens our security in these things today. 
so that we can be better witness for him. The first thing is being secure in our identity. One of the recurring things in Paul's writings is his security as a child of God. Let's have a look at a couple of examples. Galatians 4, 6-7 says this. Because you're his sons, and let's also remember that daughters count too, okay? This, this means everyone, okay? So don't, don't, don't worry about that. Don't be paranoid in your identity. You just get says sons, okay? This is sons and daughters, all right? Because you're his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but you're God's child. And since you're his child, God has made you an heir. Do you believe that to be true today for you? Do you believe that you, through Jesus, you're a God's child? Well, I'll stop there then. Um, We need to believe it more. It needs to resonate more deeply. Do you notice the word Abba there? Abba Father. The word Abba Father was the intimate word that was used by Jewish adults of their own fathers. And it's a word that Jesus used in relation to his own relationship with God, the Father. This was groundbreaking. He was using a word of great intimacy, Abba, Father. And it told us of the intimacy of Jesus' relationship with God, the Father. But you know what? Jesus teaches us to relate to God as Abba, Father. To cry out to him as Abba, Father. To pray to him and live with him every day as Abba, Father. That intimate relationship. Sometimes it's translated as Papa or as Daddy. I think we struggle with that word Daddy, I think, because it feels too familiar. So commentators suggest that we use that word Papa. But it's that change. As we believe in Jesus, we're brought into this amazing relationship with God as our Abba, Father, our Papa, Father. It's a real intimate, close, loving relationship. In Romans, Paul says again, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves, so you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we, that you and I, through Jesus, we are God's children. Isn't that amazing? Well, I do. I think it's amazing. John also writes of this in, in 1 John uh, 3.1. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is, what we are, that is what we are. I love John's conviction there. That is what I am. That is what I am. I'm a child of God. He's lavished his love upon me. So we've got to accept this. We've got to accept that we are God's children. And it enables us to live in a lifelong relationship of interest with me, with God the Father. And we've got to know how much he loves us. And we've got to receive this love and embrace this love as his sons and his daughters. Because it gives us security. There was a, a, a missionary in Pakistan called Jane. She wrote this. Living as a single woman in a Muslim country requires me to be secure in who I am, and have a source of deep affirmation. The Christian life is not essentially about having an emotional experience. If I do not feel God's love daily, 
This is less than what my Father in heaven intends for me. Being with God is now my most secure place. I receive renewed strength, renewed purpose to reach out to others who are rejected or abandoned. Those who the Father puts infinite value on and has adopted us into his family. See, the basis of Jane's identity as a missionary, as a Christian woman in a Muslim country, her security is in the fact that she is a loved child of God. That gives her the security she needs. There's a guy called Dr. Lake who developed this idea further, and he describes our security in God as the cycle of grace. This is Eric Liddell. Eric Liddell lived under the cycle of grace or in the cycle of grace. Eric Liddell was the guy uh, who starred or was the basis for uh, the film The Chance of Fire, which was based on Eric Liddell's 400 meters win in the 1924 Olympic Games. And Eric Liddell says this, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When I'm doing my work, I feel God's pleasure. When I'm living day to day, doing the mundane stuff, I feel God's pleasure. See, Eric Liddell learned the art of running and resting in the love and grace of God. Do you go about your everyday work or everyday life resting and embracing the love of God? Brings us freedom. This is the cycle of grace. Number one is acceptance. Number two is sustenance. Number three is significance. And number four, achievement. Dr. Lake suggests that we've got to start in our relationship with God as Christians at number one. Acceptance. That's where we start. That is the foundation of our lives. Acceptance means that we know that we're accepted and loved and cherished by Father God and that his love for us is unconditional, that we're saved by grace and we're his children. That's our starting point, number one, acceptance. That's where we live our lives from. And then number two, out of our acceptance, we get sustenance. We're sustained by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit so we can live continually in that sense of being accepted. And then out of that, we gain significance. We feel significant because we know we're accepted and we've got the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then from there, we go on to achieve. We live our daily lives working for good works that God has given us to do. But we're not doing it to earn God's acceptance because we already know we're already coming from number one. We already know that we're accepted and loved. Yeah? So we don't work to try to gain God's approval or to gain his love because that's not grace. We've got to live under grace. We're children of God. He already approves of you. And this is the problem. We start living the cycle the wrong way around. I do this all the time. I start with achievement. My achievements make me feel good about myself. It's in my achievements that I feel accepted, that I feel significant, that I feel like I've got an identity. But you know what, guys? That is shaky ground. Because if you don't achieve or if something goes wrong, then you crumble. That is why faith in God is so countercultural, because we're living the other way. We live from a place of acceptance, and that's what gives us the motivation to live out our lives, because we know we're accepted and loved by God, and therefore we live our daily lives to love him and to love other people. That's where it all comes from. 
Jesus actually picks up on this. Jesus, well, he's the, the author of the cycle of grace, isn't he? He said this to his disciples. Well, it starts with a description. Luke chapter 10, 17 says this. The 72, they're the disciples, uh, the extended followers of Jesus, not just the 12. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the the spirits submit to you. Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the source of our rejoicing. That's the source of our sense of acceptance. Not what we've done. The fact that we're saved. The fact that our names are written in heaven. I was in Manchester Airport this week and there was an advert for a big global corporate bank. And its slogan was, redefining success. That's what Jesus is doing here. He redefines what success looks like. We rejoice because our names are written in heaven. Yeah? And we've got to rejoice. We've got to grasp that and rejoice. And every day, every day you wake up, my name is written in heaven. Let's go! Yeah, seriously. This is where... Our security comes from. And that never changes. That never changes. So we need to redefine what success looks like in our lives. See, Paul's identity, it wasn't in the fact that he was an amazing tent maker. I'm sure they were pretty good tents, to be fair. But his identity was in that he was a love child of God. And that brought him freedom. It brought him freedom to be the person that God called him to be in the everyday. So I want to encourage you today to live in that freedom as a love child of God. To live in the light of God's love for you and be secure in your identity as a love child of God. Because then you'll find fullness and life in him and then you can lead other people to fullness of life in him too. So, first question, are you secure in your identity as a love child of God? Is that the foundation of your life? Secondly, Are we secure in our mission? There's a guy called Peter Maiden and he wrote, I wonder if the reason why many Christians don't find life fulfilling, the reason why they get involved in watching things they shouldn't, listening to things we shouldn't, engaging in activities that destroy our Christian witness, is that we've never found our place in the mission of God. Jesus was really clear about his mission to his followers, wasn't he? And we can pick out some classic passages. This is the most classic one. We touched on this quite a lot recently. This is the Great Commission from Matthew 28. Jesus came to them and said, Authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Jesus also lays out his mission to his followers in Luke 24. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are the witnesses to these things. 
He says it in John 17. This is John praying to the Father for his followers. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. As God sent Jesus into the world, he now sends you and me into the world. Have you embraced that? Have you accepted that? We find our place in the mission of God. But you know what? Paul, he didn't have these scriptures because this wasn't written by the time Paul was around. Of course, Paul had this incredible relation directly with Jesus on the road to Damascus. We read about that in Acts chapter 9. He had relationships with the disciples. They were contemporaries at the time. So you can imagine the discussions, sharing of life of Jesus and his commands and his teachings. And of course, Paul is empowered by the Holy Spirit. But Paul, the scriptures that Paul was basing his sense of mission from were actually the Old Testament. And so God lays out his mission for his world from the very start. See, God is a God of mission from the very, very beginning. See, in the Old Testament, God lays out his vision to his people in Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all peoples on earth, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's the missional mandate there. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. God lays out his mission to Abraham and to his people from the very start. God is a God of mission. Psalm 96, David picks up on it. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Isaiah picks up on it, up on it in Isaiah 49. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. See, Paul knew his Old Testament, and Paul knew that God was a God of mission. His God's whole story is one of mission. And he knew, Paul, he understood that the Old Testament all points to Jesus. Jesus, the fulfillment of the law. Jesus, the fulfillment of the temple. Jesus, the fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies. See, Paul sees Jesus' coming and his death and his resurrection in light of the Old Testament. The good news that God had promised throughout, completed in Jesus. So Paul sees his own mission as being sent by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to further God's mission in the world. I'm going to read that again. Do you feel that for yourself? Do you see your own life as being sent by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to further God's mission in the world? Because that's what we're called to be. That's the mission that God calls us to join him on. I love this definition by uh, Kathy Ross, who's a pioneering missional theologian principally rooted in the Church of England. All mission is God's mission. That God is the initiator and sends his Son and his Holy Spirit out of love for the world. This 
I practice that word. This Trinitarian God is love. So that this love is an essential part of God's nature. This love is part of God's being. And it is this being that has the outward impetus to send the Son and the Spirit. So, part of God's nature is his missionary love. And this is what the church, you and I, bears witness to. Christopher Wright, who's another theologian, says, We are to be agents of God's redemptive love. We are to be caught up within the dynamic sending of God for the salvation of the world and the revelation of his truth. That's exciting. I want to be a part of that, don't you? Yeah, it's pretty scary as well, right? Um, Paul was secure in his mission for God. Even though he was a tent maker, he was first and foremost concerned with fulfilling the mission of God and the mission of God as a loved child of God. This guy's called uh, Bubba Watson. He's one of the world's best golfers. This is a guy who works out of seeing this place within the mission of God. He said, I'm realizing that golf is just an avenue for Jesus to use me to reach as many people as I can. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, this guy's minted. And he's, he's won all sorts of championships. You know Augusta Masters? You know the fancy golf course that arrives on your screens around Easter time? Yeah, he won that. Uh, but you know what? That's not where his sense of fulfillment lies. That's not, his identity isn't rooted in being an amazing golfer. He sees his work as an avenue that Jesus uses to tell people about him. That's amazing. So do you, in your workplace... Whatever you do, or even in your hobbies, whatever skills you've got, do you see that as an avenue for Jesus to use you to reach as many people as you can? That's what it means to be secure in the mission of God. So, not only am I asking you today to think, are you secure in your identity as children of God? And is that the foundation of your life? But I want to ask you, are you secure in your place in God's mission? And then finally, we need to be secure in our message. Don't read that yet. That'll put you off. Just listen for a second. Now, here's the rub, right? I bet loads of you are sat there, right, thinking, well, this is all right for Paul, the tent maker, you know. Some of you are probably thinking, well, I'm not a missionary. Some of you are probably thinking, I'm not evangelists. Some of you probably thought, well, I'm rubbish at golf. I don't know. You've missed the point completely if you thought that. <laughs> um, but, guys, the thing is, Yes, the Holy Spirit does gift us to be evangelists sometimes, and you're going to embrace that calling. But the thing is, is that he doesn't call us all to be missionaries. He doesn't all call us all to be evangelists, but he calls us all to be witnesses. Every single one of us. So, in light of that, are we secure in our message? Are we secure in what we're trying to tell people and lead people to? What are we bearing witness to? Well, Bottom line is, we're bearing witness to the good news. Yeah? Do you know the word evangelism? That bit, evangel, at the start, literally means good news. And what is this good news? Paul tells of it in Romans 1. He says that the good news is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. That's the message. 
God has made a way for us to be made right with himself. We've got a wonderful new relationship with him. We're saved, we're forgiven, we're justified, and all the other fancy Christian words. We're redeemed and we're adopted. We're given new life. This is good news. And he put one exclamation mark. I should have put 25. This is good news. Smiley face, smiley face, happy face, happy face. This is amazing. And so, Paul knew how exciting it was. He pleads with the church in Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us, the message of reconciliation. We, therefore, are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I love the uh, NLT translation of that that says, we plead with you, turn back to God. We are Christ's ambassadors, you and me. Where is mouthpiece? Yeah? It's a bit like Kevin and Debbie. Kevin's the, the, uh, the mouthpiece. Debbie's the savior of the world. It's a bit like that, really. So God wants us to plead, come to the marriage course. We are pleading with people. God has given us that job to plead with people. Come back to God. He's made this way for you to be made right with him. He's given you new life. Accept this new life forever. That's our message. So we're all Christ's ambassadors. We're always voice. And he's given us this message of salvation to tell. But you know what? It's not only just in our words. It's also in our deeds. It's also in our actions. Because we have to also display God's transforming love. And over recent years, there's been a bit of a shift in what it means to be missional in the church. For centuries, it was always seen as just being proclaiming the good news, telling it and speaking it. But recently, there's been a real broadening of the, uh, the definition of what mission is. And it's not just speaking it. It's through loving service. It's through standing up against injustice. It's around seeking social transformation. It's around giving the voice to the voiceless. And it's about taking care of God's creation. That's all mission. But it all points to Jesus. And we do it out of love for Jesus. And we do it so that we can point other people to Jesus. I love this verse. Paul says in Philippians, Shine like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. I want to encourage you, powered by the Holy Spirit, shine like stars for Jesus in the world. John Stott also picks up on this. Good works are not the way of salvation, but it's proper and necessary evidence of faith which does not express itself in works is dead. So this is our message We know the one true living God who reached out to us. Out of the depths of his love, he stepped into the darkness and the hurt to bring us new life. The God who at the greatest cost to himself suffered at the hands of those he created. He endured the cross to set us free. He came back to life and has defeated death 
to give us a hope of an eternity with him. And he reigns forever. That's our message. To the broken, there is healing. To the hurting, there is peace. To the hopeless, there is hope. To the unloved, there is love. To the lost, there is life. Are you secure in this message? Are you confident in the good news of Jesus? So, to wrap up, let's reflect on these three things today. Are you secure in your identity as a child of God? Is this the foundation of your life? Are you secure in your mission? Have you found your place in the mission of God? Are you secure in your message? Are you rejoicing in the good news of Jesus and seeking to share this with others through your words and actions? Let's just have a quick pray. Lord, we open up ourselves to you that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to find security. Holy Spirit, come and work in power in us that we would be secure in our relationship with you, our Abba Father, Secure that we are your loved children. Help us to be secure in our mission in reaching lost souls for you. And help us, Holy Spirit, to be secure in our message that Jesus saves. And help us to live that out loud and proud through our words and through our actions. Come, Holy Spirit, work in us afresh, we pray. For your glory, for your kingdom come. Amen. To give you a moment to reflect on this, we're going to just play a song over the speakers. Uh, if we could keep that, oh, we, you can put that slide back up in a moment. Um, this song is called What Is He To You? It was actually written by one of our voice young people. She was only about 14 when she wrote it. Beautiful girl. Real heart for God. So I'm going to use this song as an opportunity just to give you space to, to sit in God's presence And to let him work in you, maybe you might want to reflect on the words of this song. But this is what it's all about. Uh, The recording of this song, this is our first ever voice album, and a lot of the kids on it uh, were from this church at the time. Really inspiring stuff. And then, Claire, we can sing our uh, one final song together. So let's just have a listen to this and reflect on what we've heard from God this morning.